Have a this time. The to get me up for the day. Your mercy to continue my walking through the day with you, staying at my side, teaching and guiding Father. Everything I have, everything I am is because of you. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to anyone that has an ear, to have them hear, listen, and go to your word, to seek your face, your truth, Father. Amen. Yahweh, Amen. Yeshua, Amen. Parklutos, Amen. Pardon me. So, um, I'm going to start right off because I'm going to say some things that are going to get people's knickers all twisted up. But the word of God tells us that we are to uh, edify, lift up, share, teach, and admonish if need be. And to be quite honest with you, I've just kind of, I got to pray over it and, and pray through it and hopefully that things will alter for them. But I've just been hearing so many individuals that they can't get the time to do worship with God in the morning. They can't do morning. And they can't this, or they can't that. And every single time that I've heard the preface it prefaces with the word can't, which really should translate to the word won't. And let's discuss that difference. Can't would indicate that there's something that is possibly interfering, uh, possibly a holdup that is outside the range of control. But what it really translates to when you hear them speak to what it is, it's the word won't. And I was in that boat. I was paddling across it or trying to paddle across the stream, but it just kept going in a circle. What you have to do is you have to make a point to set aside. Make it a point and then practice doing it and that's why the Bible <clears throat> indicates and calls that a sacrifice. And I don't know, perhaps it's because individuals don't know what the word sacrifice means. Um, it could be that, but, um, you know, sacrifice, we look at the time. And, and I guess the problem that I have with that is that... Um, our Lord sacrificed for us and he did so willingly <clears throat> and he came to this plane of existence that we are in and that we, he surrendered himself. That is uh that's a word I was having trouble with. I just pulled up sacrifice. But he surrendered 
And this definition, not only the act of the sacrifice, but Jesus Christ himself sacrifice. And in that cultural time and existence, it was a common practice, just like he chased the money changers out from the courts of the temple because they had turned the house of God, the house of prayer, the house of worship into a mockery. And they were telling people that they couldn't bring their animals that were, they brought them to get blessed so that they could be presented as a sacrifice. And everybody that brought their animals was told that it was spotted or there was something wrong with it. Oh, but we just happen to have on hand right over here in this lot. If you step over here, you're going to see a really nice model. We have a really great model goat and it's already been blessed. And for the small exchange rate of, and then they would change the animals. And then the money changers, of course, you know, well, goodness gracious, you want to, you can't bring that money into the temple. That money is money that you've had in your house. And we don't know where that money came from. And that was in, and there was a reason. So Jesus came and he ran them out. And Jesus came for a lot of things. And Jesus came as the whole sacrifice. He stepped down off the throne of heaven, set his crown down, and came here to this plane of existence. He was born into a stable. Joseph had to muck the stable before Mary could go in. And he lay down a fresh bed of hay he had to muck the stables, which for those of you that don't know what that means, and uh, some of you millennials may not, and some of you that are not millennials but still don't know what it means, that means you had to go in and clean out all the manure from the animals. You had to clean out all the mess that they had down there. And then you lay fresh straw down there so that you can have a place to lay down and be able to sleep, to give birth. And then that manger that Jesus was put in for a, for his crib, that was a foldable hay stand or a feeding stand so that the animals didn't have to eat out of the dirt. And they put fresh straw in that for Jesus to sleep in. Now, considering the fact that Jesus was, is our Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the only begotten Son of God, and was with God from the beginning, and that he lived in heaven. He resided there. He had a throne there. He was king. And he gave that up, took off the crown that he wore, and came down here. And then, man as they are, still are, decided that because he was doing things contrary to what they were doing and they would get paid for the things that he did for free. They became offended and their knickers were constantly in a twist. And then they ultimately they crucified him. That sacrifice was to cleanse me, to clean me, so that I would be a good, acceptable son of God. 
Brothers and sisters, he did that for all of us. He sacrificed. So what gets me so twisted about it is that I hear and listen to these people. They just, oh, I just can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't, 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 can't. It's always prefaced with, I just can't. Well, what if Jesus said he just couldn't? You know, Father, I, I just can't do that. These folks down there, they just, I, I just can't see doing it. I'm comfortable here. We have manna. Sip really nice wine. Enjoy the sun and the stars and all these things that we made. And But these folks down there, they're just so disruptible. They treat each other so, ugh. Everything that they do is contrary to what we've given them, <clears throat> contrary to what we teach. I, God, I just, I just can't. I just can't. Ah, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I will. I will go. I'll do that so that we do not have to flood the earth, burn the earth, shake it into oblivion. And he came, walking right out of heaven into this plane of existence, dying on that cross, beaten nearly to death before he walked up the mount, was beaten so severely that he couldn't even carry, bear the weight of the cross. Ah, uh, but he bore that weight in, in many other ways. He couldn't physically carry it because the body that he was in, they beat him nearly to death. Well, and you talk about a, <laughs> you talk about an absolute miscarriage of justice, right? think of this and it's hard for some to wrap their minds around this I know but this was an intended plan God didn't want to destroy the earth again he had destroyed it by flood once he repented of the creation but he didn't want to totally destroy it. He wanted us to be able to have an opportunity. So he sent a message to Noah. And that message was, you build this big boat, Noah. Now here's the thing. You're going to be building this out here where I didn't put any water. However, I will put water there. So you just do it. It's going to happen. They're not going to see it. And you know that you're going to be ridiculed for doing this. And this thing is going to be so big, it's going to take you a while to do it. But I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to be with you. But they're going to come and heckle. And Noah set about to build the ark. <clears throat> according to God's directions and plans and the wood to be used. 
And it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. But Noah was not just building the ark. He was trying to build a response and a repentant creation. And they refused. They laughed. They scoffed. They belittled. Noah and God. And Noah threw down that mallet for the last time. Climbed down off his scaffolding. Put the last bit of pitch that he needed to do. And then God said, Noah, it's time. And then Noah was bringing his family and the last of the creatures went in. And all the people that had their, let's go make fun of Noah blankets spread out and their little picnic lunches and their wine and their goodies that they were sitting, while they were sitting back laughing at Noah. And they were so caught up in their reverie, their partying and their making fun of God and Noah that what finally woke them up was that thudding sound of that ramp, that thudding sound because God had placed his hand on it and sealed them in and sealed them out. <coughs> that roused them. All of a sudden they shook their heads and like, what, what, what's going on? And then they felt the very large drops started and then just came down torrentially. And not only did the rains come down, but the floods came up. The groundwater levels, the, the, the natural cisterns that hold that groundwater that's there that we don't even know about. We travel and we move around on that all the time. We don't even know it's there. But there are virtually lakes and, and oceans that are underneath the ground that we're not even aware of. And some of these uh, spelunkers, these cave explorers, they find them. And they're vast bodies of water. That are, well, those all came up and pushed through. God raised those levels up and they came and the rains came down, the floods came up, and it came up so quickly. And then all of a sudden they said, whoa, wait a minute, for 120 years, you mean that Noah's been telling us the truth? Wait a minute, Noah, hold on, come back, take us, take us, take us. We're sorry we didn't, except they were talking to the wrong person. They should have been, could have been, they ought to have been talking to God. Noah offered them a turning point. Remember, I've shared that with you before. A turning point. Noah's offered it to them. That turning point is where you, your life is so bad and so miserable that you get to that turning point and you want to turn around. You want to make a complete U-turn and accept that Jesus Christ is indeed the only begotten Son of God that he is that living sacrifice that came for you and is our Lord and our King 
and will come back as he promised, and that you have faith in God, that the infallible truths that he puts into his word, the Bible, And that you too can witness the empirical evidence. Remember I shared these words, infallible means that there's no shaking the truth. It can't be changed. It can't be altered because it is truth. There's just no way that it can. The empirical evidence that I have seen through my life. And there was a point where I was saying, I can't. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. I can't. Really? Seriously? And there was a point, And now here... At this point in my time, on this plane of existence, such it is as it will and is with God, I love being where I am. And he had a plan. He had a plan all along. So I'm where I am because of his plan, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his gift, because of his love. So for those of you continue saying, oh, I, I can't, I can't give God five minutes in the morning before I roll out of bed and, and start my day. And, and I'll be quite honest with you that there are occasions where I get out, put my feet down and get rolling and, and then realize when I catch myself, well, actually the Holy Spirit catches me and, and the realization comes, didn't you forget something? You forgot me. No, Father. Let's sit down now. Let's let's correct that silly thing that I just did and I got up and started moving. This day is mine because you gave it to me. Forgive me, Father. And then you take a few minutes. And people get so wound up with this um, attitude that they can't, they just can't get their time together. Well, let's surprise some folks. Do you ever talk to God while you're taking a shower or bathing? Oh, I can't lie. People have this attitude about God for some reason. I don't understand why they do that. Um, you know that God, God has seen you naked, right? God knows. I mean, God used to come to the garden and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. He would walk with them. And then they hid from him. Why? Because their realization that they were naked. God didn't care. I mean, he created them. You saw them naked. Didn't bother him. It bothered them because they had this, been deceived by this lie. And then, of course, they tried to lie to God again. And this is the thing about lies. You have to, you have to lie on top of a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie to try to make it seem plausible, reasonable, acceptable. Except that everything to that point where you think it's acceptable has been a lie. Lie on top of a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie. And then you get to a point where you forget what's true. I've shared this with you before, the difference between a compulsive liar and a pathological liar and a um, and a chronic liar the pathological and compulsive liar are virtually the same but the pathological is more 
more in depth to, I guess you might say. Um, you know, you have a chronic liar that lies and, and just somehow finds that it's an easier thing to do. It doesn't always lie, but lies a lot, chronically. And then you have the compulsive liar when confronted or put into a position where they feel uncomfortable, say, then they lie in order to become more comfortable. And then, of course, you have the pathologicals and the uh, compulsive liar are pretty close to the same, but you have those individuals that they would choose to lie before telling the truth. And no matter what situation they are in, no matter what point of comforture they're in, they will lie in order to better their position in anything. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who might be hurt, who might be put out, or who might be discomforted by what they say or how they act and a lie. And the sad part of it is that they actually believe that the lie is the truth. And it doesn't matter. You can, you can present evidence like crazy that shows that what they, wait a minute, you just said this, but look, right here, physically, you can't do that. Yes, yes, you can. That, they, they, they made a mistake when they wrote that. But this is a physicist that has proven that to be incorrect. Well, you go ahead and you run as fast as you want and you go ahead and see if you can't get up enough speed and you'll go through. Doesn't work that way. But in their their mindset and their choosing to act that way, they will. And they, so they believe that what they say, so you have these individuals that won't give up sacrificial time for God in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and you have to realize something that the Bible, that Paul writes this down in a number of places in his letters, is that we have to practice this thing. And there is nowhere in the, there is nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible has it been written that once you become a Christian, that everything becomes crystal clear and becomes perfect. And I've shared this with you all before. That's because there is nothing here that is perfect and there will not be anything here that is perfect until he who is perfect has come. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. And on this plane of existence, there is nothing perfect until he who is perfect has come again. He came once and he died as the sacrificial lamb of God. And he's promised to return. And I'm sharing with you right now that every promise that I've seen in the Bible, God has been true to that. Everything. God is great. God is good. Grace is great. And grace is free. Freely given. Jesus came and sacrificed himself, beaten nearly to death so that we would not be separated from God. That you would not take part in that as the scriptures talk about the second death. <clears throat> we die from this plane of existence. We're separated from this plane of existence. 
and we go in and we pass completely through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For the Lord is with me. And as David writes in his song, I believe we find that in Psalms 23. Lord is my shepherd. He is my good shepherd. And David pronounces this, declares this thing. And this is what he talks about in the psalm. Interesting thing, I've shared this with a sheep. I knew, pardon me, I knew a couple shepherds and I knew a shepherd was a very good acquaintance and we had had an occasion to speak at length on some interesting things that I learned about sheep. They're actually, you know, you hear people talk about all those dumb sheep. Yeah, but sheep are actually not really dumb. Sheep are actually pretty intelligent. A bit skittish. They tend to get nervous by a lot of things, which is why they bah all the time. They are nervous around... Um, this is why it talks about it leadeth me beside still waters. And the shepherd was sharing with me that sheep have a tendency to get nervous if they hear a babbling brook and they constantly hear that the rolling of the water going down over the stones and it they get they get skittish. That noise bottom in the course of the night when they're laying down should be sleeping. They're actually very nervous. So what the good shepherd will do is he finds a quiet place. Nice grass for them to feed on. They get up in the middle of the night and want a midnight snack. and get up and munch on some really sweet green grass. And the water is right there for them to drink. But it's quiet. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And the thing about the sheep is that they know their shepherd's voice. And one of the most fantastical things that he shared with me, and I, I, I found it difficult to believe, but they, the fellows, they were all in agreement. And they would travel, two of them going one direction, two going another direction. And they would travel together and they would meet <clears throat> in this very large, <clears throat> pardon me, open-ended penning that were established for the, the shepherds. And they would lead their flocks into this thing. They would just, they'd all go in there at night. All of them, all four flocks. And they would take turns at watch at the open gate. Two would sleep and two would watch. Two would sleep, two would watch. Then when they got ready to separate and go on their way, each of the shepherds in turn would call the sheep out. And he told me that over the course of time that they had done this together, as many times as he had done, 
Now, at one time, did the flocks ever get confused and the shepherd take off and he had a couple sheep that were not with him or were not his? And never did that happen. And some people talk about, oh, they don't like the analogy of the sheep. Well, isn't that a shame? Being in the Lord's flock is a good place to be because he's a good, good shepherd. He watches over us. He keeps us. He talks to us. He guides us. He teaches us. And that staff that he may carry is to protect us. It isn't to... There's no shepherd that would thump on a sheep to get him to change direction or get him to go or hurry up or move. That wasn't what that was for. And... They were for guidance and safety, protection. Our good shepherd protects us, loves us, guides us, keeps us, and is always there for us. Always there for us. So wouldn't you imagine that before you get out of bed, while you're even, here's the other thing, that people get so caught up in all this stuff about a prayer posture. My goodness gracious. God does not require that when you come and speak to him that you are required to fall on your face, throw yourself prostrate on the ground, bury your face in the ground. He doesn't require that. He doesn't require you to kneel. All he does is ask that you come to him. You're good good father that's all he asks is that you just come and you talk to him and I've shared before with you that we are called the saints everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the only God and son of God and, and declares that they want to have faith in God we are saints it doesn't require that some head of some church come and throw oil and water mixture on you and saying, okay, now you're anointed as a, and you have now been canonized a saint because I say so. Ta-ta-da-da. Well, first of all, it's not required. Second of all, they don't have the authority. And third of all, none of that is required. What is required is that you have a prayerful, worshipful heart and that you relinquish your walking in what was and you desire to walk to what is with God. That you want to walk into what is. <clears throat> and what will be doesn't matter as long as you're walking with him. That the Holy Spirit guide you and teach you what he's promised that he will do. And we have to practice demonstrating our trust in him. Paul talks about this thing. I, I was going to that a moment ago talking about, and Paul writes about this all the time. Practicing, practicing, practicing. Things do not become automatic when you say, yes, I want to be, and yes, I do accept that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. 
It doesn't become automatic. Jesus tells us, when he's teaching the disciples, he tells us that there will be trials and tribulations. He also tells us that we will be hated for our testimony. We will be hated for our faith and our belief in God. We will be hated for those things that we declare, but we must be faithful, truthful, and we must be a warrior. We are reminded constantly, and there's actually a number of places that God reminds us to be of good courage, not to be afraid, <clears throat> that he is with us. <clears throat> Pardon me, goodness gracious. And that he is with us always. And there's a couple places when he reminds us about the armor. Why would God build us a suit of armor unless it were required? And then people want to say that, that we don't, oh, we don't have to do this, we don't have to do that because the Bible tells us this and the Bible tells us that. Yes, it does. But during our travels in this plane of existence, there are going to be issues that will come up. There are going to be dominions that operate on this plane of existence for the devil's purpose and the devil's seeking to separate us from God because that's his desire and that his minions will do so. And then there are the demons, okay? Let's, let's explore this for a minute, okay? I don't want to get anybody's knickers all bunched up because, yes, I do. I don't care. Truth is truth. So you have individuals that get all wrapped up about talking about the devil and demons and things because they think that that's glorifying them and they're glorifying the devil. Well, if you choose to ignore the fact that the enemy is real and that he has troops that are on the ground or on this plane of existence that move through this point and that their purpose is to separate you from God, separate you from your loved ones, separate you from the faith and belief that you will be going to heaven and give up on your acceptance that Jesus is the only begotten son of God and that your faith in God, that that is their sole purpose and their desire and that they function for that purpose. And if you choose that you want to believe that way or have faith in God, believe that what is told and taught in the Bible is truth. And you go that way. But there are individuals out there that think that you're glorifying the devil by knowing about him and knowing about his actions and knowing about the minions that function for him and that work in his way. And they are under the idea or the belief that that's glorifying the devil, glorifying him. Well, no, it's not. As a military guy, you have to know your enemy in order to be able to function in that realm of or that theater of operation that you're in in order to be able to properly defend against that the same thing that goes to a christian you have to know about your enemy and know that it's real in order to be able to function against him jesus talked about the devil he reminded us about the devil peter paul john matthew mark they talked about the devil they talked about his activities and they talked about being able to stand up against him why would God make a suit of armor for us and remind us of that? The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of truth, and have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of sharing the word. 
and that you go out there and you think that you're not going to be confronted by some of these minions that work for the devil? Oh, goodness gracious, yes. And they're there, they're real. And the individuals that that have left this plane of existence in that, they're not going to change into becoming a demon. The demons that operate and work for Satan are those that were cast out with him. And they are powerful. Know this also. They know scripture. You say, wait, wow, what, what? Well, know this. Where were they before they were cast out of heaven? And they relinquished their abilities? Where were they? They were in heaven. They were around God. They were with God. And they were hearing the word of God. And then they fell. And then they got kicked out. They do know scripture. They do know the word. Satan has the ability and the capability and will do so to twist, malign. And had, why, why do you think that so many people get caught up in the lies of his manipulation and convinces people? And it seems like it's coming, it's scriptural. This is why you have to be very cautious. He's a very, very tactical operator on this plane of existence. And we are reminded that we are in a spiritual warfare. Whether you like it or you don't, that's irrelevant. The relevance is that we are in a spiritual warfare. God protects us from seeing the things that go on around us continually because we have angelic beings that are protecting us there are angelic beings that want to harm us. And those are the demons that are employed by Satan. They want to separate us from God. We have to trust that God is true and that we have faith in God, faith and truth. Same creature, same demonstration. In Luke 12, 22 through 25, Jesus reminds us, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, they have no storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life. None. My answer to that, and of course Jesus was posing a rhetorical question because he already knew the answer and I have the answer. None of us can do that. None of us by worrying and getting all agitated and worked up by everything can add any time to it. And my relinquishing and opening my hand and giving control because I was holding on to things so tightly and still praying about them, but still holding on to them. So what's the point in that? There isn't one. 
And what was happening was that I was getting in God's way. I was getting in my way and not accomplishing anything because I wasn't letting him do what he was promised he would do. And here's that other reminder in Ephesians 6.12, we're reminded, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There are demons, brothers and sisters, and they are real. They exist. And then you have the minions that work for the devil because they think and they believe his lies and they believe his promises, which are broken all the time. In Proverbs 16 and 3, we read and understand that we are to commit to the Lord. Whatever you do and your plans will succeed. So when you roll up in the morning and you start your day, you have to have faith and pray to God. First thing, give God that first thing. And I have found and become habitually in this. And, and once in a while I get up and I find myself misdirecting because I'm not thinking about it, just kind of getting some things going. And I get caught up in all the things that I need to get done. Oh, I need to do this. I need. Do I? No, I don't. And all the time that's given to me to get things accomplished were given as a gift from God anyway. So my day starts with God. I talk to God on the first thing in the morning. As soon as that morning hour comes up, I go to his lesson for me. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit will get me right up out of bed and it's... I'm not even sure what time it is, but it's still dark outside. But you have to practice, brothers and sisters. You have to practice. It requires practice. Paul reminds us to practice. Jesus tells us that there's going to be troubles. There's going to be turmoils. There's going to be all these things. And just like Elijah on the side of the mountain, all those things, those were representative of all the stirrings and all the turmoil and all the things that go on around us. But listen for the still small voice of the Lord God. He does speak. You just have to listen for that voice. You have to learn to listen for it. It takes a little practice, but you can do it. <clears throat> so you have to remember things, brothers and sisters, that will always look bad. And Hagar, we can find out about her. And I like this little story because it's so representative of us and the way that we are. And that Hagar, when she was out there and she ran away from Sarai, and it was a hard thing to do. Now, you remember that Sarai, because she wasn't paying attention or heeding the word of God, that she tried to help God because she thought it was an issue. And you see what Sarai did? She messed up a lot of stuff. And Hagar ran away and got out in the midst and thought that she was lost and alone and that this child that she had with her was going to die. God heard her. He heard her cries and he heard her. And the angel appeared to Hagar and 
told her and calmed her down. And we can find the story in Genesis 16, 13 through 14. And when the angel came to her and God told the angel and said that you are seen, he knows you're here. And she built, there was a, a well that was, she was directed to so that her and her child would have water. And she called it Bilaharoi. Bilaharoi. And it is the well to the living one who sees me. Or some translated as to the God who sees me. God sees everything that we are going through and in the midst of. And you have to remember that David shares in Psalm 139, 7 through 10, that God sees us all the time, no matter where we go. And David puts us in there. No matter where we go, God is there. No matter where we try to get to, God sees us and he is there. And in the book Zephaniah 317, I love this little portion here. And I kind of remember back before I, before God sent me here that, and you can read that there are places in the Bible we will find that God sang over us. Wow. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You're in my prayers and going out and coming in. Brothers and sisters, be blessed this day.